and welcome to the Original Content Podcast. I'm Anthony Ha. And I'm Jordan Crook. And we are joined once again by Brian Heater. Welcome back, Brian. Hello, friends. Ooh, cue applause track. I don't actually, I don't have that machine. Yeah. <laughs> there was some talk of returning to that, but I don't think anybody wants that. No. I'm kind of no. for it. I want to be in charge oh, of it. Oh, interesting. I think it's an interesting job. You know, those radio DJs that just mm-hmm. like essentially press reaction buttons. You want to take a more a morning zoo crew approach to the original content podcast. A little bit. A little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's there's value in that, maybe. I don't know. What about a slide whistle? Well, I mean, television, right? Television and, and like movies, they're they're audience based mediums, you know, they need an audience audience. So having audience reactions. Here's here's an interesting uh, television fact is when MASH was originally broadcast in the UK, it didn't have a uh, laugh track. So everybody who like grew up with it in England doesn't know what the laugh track they uh, it was, you know, because obviously like it was like filmed like on set and not in a soundstage. So they added all that in post. They um, made a very conscious decision from the beginning of the program to not have for obvious reasons a laugh track when they were in the surgery scenes and then as the show started getting sort of more serious and kind of self-righteous they slowly started phasing it out toward the end like in the u.s as well yeah well it it, you know because the show ran for a number of seasons so it just they they it I, I think I think it was in there in some degree toward the end, but it it, it it they kept pulling back on it and and it gets subtler and subtler as you go on with the show. I mean, the show like I don't know if either of you have have watched it at all. Um, I, it's not in like twenty five years. Yeah, like and it's one half of one episode. When sure, I was and it's old. and it's before. I mean, you know, by by the time any of us would have actually been watching it, would have been in in syndication. But uh, I did at one point actually binge on most or all of the series on Netflix. Oh my god! And it like <laughs> so funny and weird. It is well, yeah. I've I've done that with a lot of like a lot of the sort of the the, the classic sitcoms. Cheers. I've actually watched all of Frasier at this point Yo, on Netflix. Frasier, me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, but not I, bad. No, I mean, Mash is it's one of the great American sitcoms and it's for sure worth going back and rewatching. But one of the one of the interesting things about it is, you know, because Alan Alda, they, they, they went through a lot of people. Alan Alda was in it through uh, the entirety of the show. And, um, you know, as as the show kept getting more popular, I think it went to his head and he started directing and then the show tried to take on really sort of serious topics and I got really self-serious at one point. So it really takes kind of a tonal shift. And at that point they really just start phasing out all the laugh track. I think laugh tracks in general are very interesting because like they do, they do elicit laughter, like forcing you to laugh at their jokes because I mean, maybe not like lol laughter. Like, you know, I'm not like sitting here belly laughing at like every laugh track and friends, but it just like brings a smile to your face hearing other people laugh. It's such a weird psychological trick. I feel like it actually goes one way or the other. It's like if you like the joke, it maybe like makes you feel comfortable laughing out loud. But like if you think the joke is bad and people are laughing in this obviously canned way, then at least I will get very annoyed and not like the show. I've definitely I've definitely seen some comedies, some some movies that I've watched like on a plane or, you know, in, in my apartment, which I think I probably would have had a much better experience if I actually had seen it in the theater. I mean, that is something I think 
th- that is one of the things we risk going away now that everybody is kind of, you know, watching things online and um, the TV renaissance, all these other things is that that really kind of communal group experience that you get seeing something um, in a theater. Like, I, you know, I, I went to I saw Creed in a packed theater and it was just like such a great experience of people actually like standing up and cheering him throughout. Yeah. It's, it's so much more fun. And it really does. I mean, it really does heighten the movie going experience. I've had a few really interesting movie going experiences lately too. Like, well, maybe not lately, but one was me and Maria go for three years. We went to go see the 50 shades of gray movies on Valentine's <laughs> night at Williamsburg cinemas, which is like the funnest thing I m- might have ever done because that, that theater is like all just like Brooklyn 20 somethings. So they're just freaking like it's it's a roast of the movie like the yeah. whole thing it's hilarious people are getting up and dancing and like i mean it was a blast and then i also saw um us in a theater recently which was also a really interesting like shared experience because the reactions in that movie are obviously very intense that's really funny I, uh when you mentioned 50 shades of gray i was going to mention the fact that i recently saw us in theater and it actually gave me the complete opposite experience i went to go see it actually on my birthday a couple weeks ago at nighthawk and i just happened to be seated next to a, a just an awful woman who was like clearly <laughs> not enjoying the the movie going experience and she wasn't yelling but she was talking loudly enough to to her friend that it just completely took me out of it was like she was like mocking uh, the voices throughout and it, and it really did completely destroy a lot of the feeling of the movie for me, which is <laughs> just a long way of saying that that people are awful generally. I well, people are awful, but like I, I mean, I had that experience recently with my mom. Actually, we went to go see a movie. The um, what's it called? The Long Shot with uh Um, yeah seth rogan and you know and she was like she liked knocked up to to an extent right and i think she thought this would be a very similar you know like this kind of scruffy dude lands the hot girl and like proves you know his value to her or whatever i think she like liked she thought it would be like a sweet rom-com but it was like very much a seth rogan movie you know and like had a lot of like (laughs) crude humor and like a lot of and she was like outraged at Charlize Theron she was like how could you do this you're Charlize Theron you know like she was <laughs> and at one point she said I'll never get these I'll never get this time back she like screamed it out like out of frustration at the end and I was like okay my mom doesn't like this movie um but yeah it, it is interesting the the movie going experience can either like be a very like like you said like a communal thing where we're all like feeling the same thing at the same time and like in it together kind of like a concert or it can be a bad thing right where you're just like shut the fuck up i'm here to see the movie not listen to you fucking make jokes there's something very special about seeing films at the uh the multiplex in astoria where regardless of what for whatever reason regardless of what movie you're watching there's always children so i want i i went to uh, when it came out, I went to like a an eight or nine o'clock showing of a remember American Hustle, and there mm-hmm. were literally mm-hmm. just children <laughs> running up and down the aisles. Wow, that's quality content mm-hmm. for young children. I think the last time I was at that theater was uh, I went to see Venom, 
with a, yeah. with a friend of mine who lives in Astoria, and we oh yeah, we did it to each other at that theater yeah. at one point. That was when um the the new Alien came out. Yes, and I saw um what was it called the Valerian in the in the City of a Thousand Planets, which yeah. was entertaining, kind of a mess, but um yeah, that that's a fun theater. Anyway. <laughs> Anyway, that, that's been your podcast. Enjoy, this, this, folks. This is uh, tangentially <laughs> related to the subject matter, I think. I think it's, yeah, you could sort of imagine the connection. Um, but I mean, as everybody knows, we're talking about the unauthorized Bash Brothers experience today on the show. That is what Brian really wants to talk about. And he's probably going to drop a bunch of like random references in as the conversation goes on. But officially, what we're discussing is the Netflix show... Tuca and Birdie, which is an animated series created by Lisa Hanna-Walt that uh, stars Tiffany Haddish and Ali Wong and hit Netflix earlier this month. Uh, so what did you guys think? I loved it. And I was pleasantly surprised at how much I loved it. I like am not a huge like adult cartoon person, really. I mean, that's like that's not to say I haven't watched them. I've seen plenty of South Park and I like Bob's Burgers and stuff like that. Um, but it's not the kind of show where I like, it's not the kind of show where when I get off work at night, I'm like, man, I can't wait to watch more South Park. You know, like yeah. it's not, I've never been like that. You know, it's more like a fallback for when I don't have anything to watch. And with this, I literally, I watched like four or five episodes one night and the next morning I was like, I can't wait to watch Hmm. to Birdie tonight you know <laughs> i can't wait to see what happens next and and you you mentioned to me anthony when we were first like kind of pre-gaming about this not not actually pre-gaming for those listening at home we were just talking on slack but like that it it isn't really like plot based like you could kind of jump in and jump out but i like feel like after having finished the entire series it is very plot based. <laughs> well, well, I, I, I had said, when I said that I had only seen the first two episodes, yeah. and they were very sort of just kind of zany Fragmented. jokes. And then yeah. as the season goes on, it becomes more plot based. I, I, th- I suspect part of the reason why you said that as well was probably to contrast it with BoJack Horseman, which very much is right. And and so we should mention that so uh, the creator Lisa Hannah Walt of Two Birdie, um, she is a cartoonist, but also the designer of, uh, like basically does the character designs and the, and the look of Bojack Horseman, yeah. um, is, is very similar, but she's not, I believe, um, a writer on the show. Uh, and then, so then, uh, Raphael, um, Wax, uh, Bob Waxberg, uh, who's the creator of Bojack Horseman is also like helped write the pilot, I think of, of, of Tuca and Birdie. So there's like this creative overlap, yeah. but the, that, that it's much more driven by, I think, her perspective than BoJack Horseman is. It was really funny when she was first, um, when when she was first kind of uh, plugging it. I think you know when when the trailer came out because um, you know I've, I've known I've known Lisa for a number of years as a she used to be a New York based cartoonist. She's in Los Angeles now for obvious reasons. Um, but she was she was fielding all of these angry fanboys on. Twitter who were accusing her of ripping off the Bojack Horseman style, oh like visually, God. you know, in spite oh, of the no. fact that she did it, um, which is which is silly for a number of reasons. Um, you know, obviously the fact that she actually uh, created the look of, of that as well. But um, I mean, it's something that cartoonists do in animation, uh, obviously, you know, with 
Matt Groening and The Simpsons, Futurama, and the show's name I can never remember that I don't know went away and may or may not be coming back. And then um, uh, less good than both of these things is Seth MacFarlane, but obviously he's created a uh, a, a visual style that that goes from show to show. I, I, I do think it's distinct, though. I mean, it, it, it is visually, stylistically different enough to set it apart. I mean, obviously, it's these like humanoid uh, anthropomorphic animals, um, but it is it's sillier, it's looser. Obviously, it's a much less self serious show than Bojack Horseman is. And I think, like, you know, if you've followed her work at all, this is like very much like stepping into her brain. It, it it's just sort of, it. The the best way I can kind of describe it is kind of a an a, a adult or at least like you know. 20, 30 something version of, of Richard Scary. You're pulling up a lot of references here that yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Nobody I mean, read I, Richard like, Scary as a child. I didn't no. even watch Bojack Horseman. Give give us some context here, Brian. Uh Richard Scary it was a very popular children's book series in the I guess eighties and nineties. Really? I ah, God never so mind. was the babysitters club. <laughs> it was a little, like a little, a little, a little bit younger than that. Arthur, <laughs> have you seen Arthur? Yes, mm-hmm. I've seen Arthur. Okay, well, let, let's use that as a reference point. So you think it's visually like Arthur? <laughs> no, I just mean from 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 the stamp. It, it's it's not like Arthur at all. Uh, Richard Scary, from the standpoint of you know just being a very obviously you know an- anthropomorphized animals in an urban environment and being kind of very silly throughout. Um, it's it's very. Her aesthetic, obviously, it, you know, it, it defines the show, but I think it's fluid in really interesting ways. They have fun with the style. They go in and out of animation. There's there's stop motion. Um, there, there, there's all sorts of different things. And it, But I think at its heart, um, when it starts out, at least, it's a very silly show. And then it kind of gets a little more serious and more into the, the depth of the characters as it goes on. Which is something that happens in, in BoJack Horseman too, which I think a lot of people um, didn't love BoJack Horseman initially because they felt like the first few episodes were this sort of just like this um, not particularly deep Hollywood satire with animals. And then it kind of gets becomes a much more serious show about depression while still having crazy animal jokes at the same time. Um, and this... Uh, I. Again, I, I so I haven't made it all the way through the season, but I, I can already see the beginnings of it sort of moving in that direction as well. But it, it seems that even as it becomes more serious, it never quite becomes as heavy as BoJack Horseman does. Yeah, well, I mean, Bo, you know, BoJack Horseman at its heart, and and again, you know, I I've, I haven't gone too deep into the series. Um, I, I was I was I, th- I think I was a little put off by by the self referential humor. It really just wasn't my style, but it's very much a show about depression. Um, I think this is very much just a show about, uh, about adult friendships and relationships and kind of, you know, navigating your way in life as a grown up. Well, and I, I, one thing that I noticed that, that hit me pretty hard is because I just moved in with my girlfriend Mm. and then we sat down to watch an episode of the show, not knowing that this was going to be a huge, huge topic in the show and so there's definitely things that feel surprisingly real in in the story so so we should say that that part of the especially in the early episodes part of the plot is that um 
birdie who is a well they're basically all different kinds of birds i don't remember like which kinds they are but she's like uh, a she's, finch i would say she looks like yeah she moves in with her her, her boyfriend speckle moves in he's played by steven yuen and um it's about them sort of part one of the threads is about them sort of navigating what it's like to be a newly moved in couple and i feel like there's definitely times where i'm sort of like casting I mean, really enjoying the show, but also kind of like looking over, like slightly stressed out at my girlfriend, being like, "I don't know, are we going through this? Is this <laughs> how real is this?" There was, like, I think that's an interesting point. Like, how real is it? Because I'm not going to try to. Uh, we're going to, I guess, save spoilers for the end. So I'm going to try my best to kind of explain what I'm saying without examples. But there are moments in the show, and there are scenes in the show that it's hard to believe you're looking at a cartoon bird. Because the like actual emotion and the plot has found its way into like really real turf, right? It almost like stops being a cartoon and becomes like one of those high tier dramedies. Like, I don't know, like weeds or something almost where it's like not weeds plot wise or even character wise, but like the level of like emotion I felt sometimes watching this show, like really went well beyond what you would expect from a cartoon because in in my experience these cartoons even when they hit like serious or sometimes um like intense moments it's all like dumbed down and watered down by the fact that it's like a cartoon and an unrealistic scenario and yet i'm looking at like a bird in the moment in, in like a in an odd moment or, a, or an intense moment and i'm like completely forgetting that it's like a bird cartoon and i'm like wow this is fucking intense you know <laughs> like uh, it, it, it's cool that way. I really enjoyed that part of it. It yeah, kept I mean, me I, coming back beyond just like the the humor, which I thought was really funny for the most part. Um, but like that, it's that's not what kept me intrigued. It was like those those moments where it didn't feel like a cartoon anymore. I, I would push back on on that only from the standpoint of somebody who has watched a, a lot of animation at, at various points in his life, and that I, I don't think that um, the uh, emotional impact of it is a limitation of the animation so much as the uh, the sitcom format. So, you know, obviously most of these shows that you see, especially traditionally through television, have had to adhere to a very similar 25-minute uh, format that, uh, that classic sitcoms do, you know, wherein everything kind of has to be resolved and then reboot itself at the end of the show. Um, one of the things that the the streaming format has not only like afforded these shows, but I, I suspect is something that um, places like Netflix and Hulu are very much pushing on creators to do is to do that sort of slow, subtle build over the course of the season as a uh, byproduct of the way in which people are actually kind of consuming the show. I mean, it starts off, it, it does start off very silly. You get a little, little sprinkles of it in here and there. And then slowly, I'd say like probably around episode maybe three or four, you start seeing kind of larger plot lines start building from there. Um, her relationship with Reggie, the Reggie Watts character, uh, who, who Reggie Watts is very funny on the show. Um, you know, that that is something that builds throughout. But uh, it is kind of, it's, it's interesting. I think the most interesting thing about the show is the way in which it is kind of thematically all over the place. And I'm not saying that as a criticism or the fact that it's uneven, but it's it's really something the show kind of goes out of its way to do, wherein there will be kind of a very 
sort of serious moment or um, a something happened to drive the characters or the plot along. And then it'll go into, uh, you know, a bit of musical theater or all of a sudden everybody will be like stuffed animals. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things is the way they can break the format and, you know, or experiment with it where suddenly it's not uh, traditional animation, but like you were saying, it's, it's puppets or it is traditional animation, but it's done in the, like, there's, it's like a broad, big Broadway, like show tunes number. And um, I mean, yeah, it feels like just in general, it's a show that's like constantly reinventing itself. And in every moment, it's like, just what's like the at least especially early on what's like the kind of craziest or funniest thing we can do in the moment for for that for that reason i mean i i i i'm glad jordan like was was able to binge it i did um i i had i had some issues with it for for that exact reason though um just because for what reason exactly for 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 the fact that it was kind of you know thematically did ping pong back and forth that it was not something I mean, I ended up binging it just because I had to watch all the episodes for the show. But I don't know if it's something that I necessarily would have wanted to have, you know, given the choice, have watched like six episodes in succession. I mean, I, I had a similar I, that I was starting to get fatigued when I was watching too many of them together. So I didn't get fatigued, but well, not by the show itself. But I will say that like Tuca as a character until about episode 10, like started to really great on me. Like, I I am I thought that the character was super super funny, but like the relationship between Tuca and Birdie and like the friendship like that's the kind of thing that like ooh, really fucking gets me like non two way streets and like someone mm. always having to take care of the other like that that is such a touchy thing for me like I just don't associate with that so um that like kind of really got to me a little bit and they did like kind of the story worked its way through that as an issue, I guess. But there was a time where I was like, I can't fucking watch this if she's going to keep being so selfish. Like I'm so annoyed by the fact that like one of our main three characters is like the most selfish human being on the planet. I just couldn't deal with that, you know? And by human being, you mean toucan. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, 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 I think that that is something that they will, I, I didn't, I didn't finish it. I think I got about six, you know, around six episodes deep. Um, but I think that is, that is, I think that is something that the, the, the format gives them the opportunity to explore in that, like, she could have been, I mean, like, in a sense, she's like a, she's like, you know, she's like a Kramer character or like any other like goofy kind of over the top sitcom character. And usually again, when you sort of have to reset at the end of 25 minutes, you don't really get to go too deep into that, but because this is the, the longer story of their, their, their friendships and kind of the, the ins and outs and ebbs and flows. um, I think you will, you know, it'll give them a chance to kind of explore that a bit more fully. Um, You know, how, how the two of them relate, what she kind of gives back into the relationship and why, um, why the two of them are friends? Because I mean, they, you know, they do they do make a point of this, and this does come out. I, I think probably around like episode five or six, when a another kind of very similar to Birdie character enters the show, um, and she forms a friendship w- with her. The question is kind of why um, why the two of these are th- these two characters who are very different are you know ultimately 
not only very attracted to each other from a friendship standpoint, but keep coming back <laughs> to one another. Jordan, it sounded like you felt like by the end of the season, you were on board with Tuca again. Well, I mean, without trying to give too many spoilers, like Tuca's kind of final story arc in episode 10 is to is like realizing that she's been selfish and that she's been immature and trying to resolve that. So like, you know, can't fault someone for being flawed and trying to correct it, right? Like I, I'm I'm back on board with Tuca should that situation last, you know, in into the second season. Mm-hmm. But there were just times like there's an episode. Can we can we move into spoilers? I'd like to start talking about specific things if if that's okay. I, so yeah, I would say for people who haven't seen Two Converti, obviously we all like it. We all highly recommend it. And now we are moving into spoilers. So if you don't want to get spoiled for the full season of Two Converti, you should stop listening now. So Brian, did you get to Yeast Week that that episode? Yeah. Okay. So like that one was the one that really like got to me a lot because I've been in this not in this exact situation before, but close to it where you're like. She, she Birdie specifically says she's like, I have something very important going on this weekend, but you're sick and I have this whole afternoon free. Like, let me help you and take care of you and be supportive because you have to go to the hospital anyway. We might as well do it now while it doesn't interrupt my entire life. And <laughs> of course, Tuka's like, no, no, it's fine. And then essentially bothers her throughout the rest of the day while she's trying to prepare for this thing and then pulls her out of this, you know, big career opportunity where she's going to go have dinner with these people because she's in the hospital and, and sick. And of course, like Birdie can't, you know, miss that. But it just like that situation is so frustrating to me where you're like, I can do this for you. Like I can be there for you. Just like help me a little bit, like compromise a little bit and let me, have my own shit you know instead of just being the person that's your on-call helper you know and it just bugged me so much that it it worked out that way um but yeah i think you know by episode 10 she's kind of figured out the error of her ways i guess but birdie too at the same time like they established that up front with her being like a people pleaser right and she has trouble saying no to people and we get more into kind of maybe not the root of that, but one of, one of the roots of that um, later on in the show, but it's a, it's a two way problem. I shouldn't blame Tuka entirely for the dysfunction in their friendship. And obviously you can't blame the show for creating problems that the characters must solve. That's like what plots are. But um, there were parts of it where I'm like, I can't fucking do this anymore. (laughs) she's driving me crazy yeah but i mean is your issue with it that it's unrealistic or that it's too realistic that it like hits the nail no, on the head i think a it's incredibly realistic yeah, yeah yeah like a discomfort with like the the truth in it right that there are people like that and their friendships like that and they're painful and they hurt and they're frustrating and like i specifically have felt that so i was like no you know that's like something to me that's very touchy so i think i in particular was like more fatigued by Tuka as a character throughout the first half of the show than anything else. I really kind of enjoyed the humor um, and I enjoyed the serious moments of the plot. Like I was, when I was telling you like that, it, it feels like it goes beyond animation. I was specifically thinking of the, um, 
there's a scene early on in the show where the uh, pastry Pete like power alphas her and like pushes yeah. her head into the steam bowl or whatever, which which actually which comes back later. Yeah, and she she seems really upset and like flustered by it and like very almost angry. And then she goes to the bathroom and like, you know, rubs one out. And I was like, I'm not watching a fucking cartoon. This is so intense. Like that's not a bird. And the music and stuff, the music almost feels like slightly broad city ish. Like, and it just, I don't know. It was like a really high impact scene where i was like i don't know what's going on but it's intense and like does not feel like a little silly funny cartoon like i don't know it was just really interesting to me it was like gripping you know yeah that i that, i i actually for some reason totally forgot about that moment right now but yeah she's she, that i think it's like the, if i remember correctly it's like the exact end of the episode where she like goes and yeah, yeah. off of in the restroom yeah and, and it really and it really does like, just sort of like music it smacks like you in the head yeah. music and like the credits flash and you're like what the fuck like it does not feel <laughs> i've never felt that way watching a cartoon where i was like i have got to go to the next episode what the fuck is gonna happen now i think i like i think i think what it what got me specifically about that it, it's twofold is one like i just i don't think like female masturbation is a thing that's like addressed very often and male masturbation is but when it is it's done almost exclusively as a joke. Like it's a very American pie approach to it. And this was like, this was, it's, it was part of the plot line. Like it was like, it was like a very, like it was a very quick and like, you know, obvious visual cue about what was happening emotionally in the scene. Well, and you know, that carries on again. Like there was that, that wasn't used as like a one-off, which I think is even more interesting, right? Like that wasn't just like a really shocking kind of crazy intense ending to an episode. And that's all that, that then feeds into like a later plot point, which again, spoilers, which is that Birdie was, you know, sexually abused as a child in her summer camp or something like that. And uh, I think it's interesting too, the way that they use they use the animation side to their advantage in all of this, right? Where we're talking about like very sensitive, very serious topics and issues. And it's not for the sake of any joke. And then you have that beautiful scene where she's swimming to the Island and, you know, she finds little childhood, her at the bottom of the lake and kind of, finds herself like that's not something that you could do in live action right like it's a very live action topic that is like expanded and made more intricate and and interesting through the animation as well and that all feeds back to that pastry peat thing so it wasn't just like a it's not just a tool right it's like more than that which i i found really really cool something that that's covered throughout pretty well is just her relationship with just shitty men throughout the entire series. I mean, they're just like, they're, they're such a, they're such a constant. And I think kind of probably for, for obvious reasons, this is something that like, you know, it's, I think nice for 
Anthony and I who probably walk around with our heads up our asses when it comes to something like this, like, yeah. you know, don't realize, especially like in a city is, is a constant, but there are a few scenes where, um, you know, there's, there's the episode, there's the episode where, uh, Tuka and Speckle go up to what the Hamptons or wherever they go to visit the ants and Birdie is kind of left behind and she's having her own like per- personal empowerment day. Um, you know, one of, she goes to a, uh, a, a little group meeting on basically how to fight man spreading. Um, but then throughout as she's like trying to take a job, she's t- take a, uh, a jog. She's like heckled by like shitty dudes. And then she has, um, you know, a similar reaction, a similar reaction with the, uh, her, the rooster character at work. Who's just like, just a, just an awful, awful coworker who, you know, not only takes her ideas, but, but basically just like sexually harasses the shit out of her. Um, you know, that, I think that's, that's also a nice piece that, that kind of peppers the show throughout. Yeah. Well, and, and her relationship with sex as well, right? Like there's something, I was talking to a founder recently who's trying to sell sex toys, like a curated list of women's sex toys in department stores like Neiman's and Nordstrom's. And I just found that to be so interesting, right? Because like women's sexuality is kind of been just so poorly represented, right? Like it's either like this femme fatale, sexual seductress, or it's like the, you know, the virgin who's, it's, it's never like a very, and this is changing, obviously, but for a long time, it was never a very accurate representation of like female sexuality. And this kind of like, not not that female sexuality has to be cartoonified, but there was something um, slightly more gentle about it and almost oddly realistic, even though they're cartoon birds, you know, in the the conversations and approaches to to sexuality. And I just thought that was really well done and interesting, too. I you know, I, I really can't say enough good things about everything but tuka as a character and that's no uh judgment on tiffany haddish either because she's fucking hilarious really is the the impromptu like the uh what are they like the impromptu songs that's like a that's ripped right out of the Gordon playbook i swear to god i spent all day alone in this apartment and if i'm not on the phone i'm just singing songs to myself and i was like that's amazing go tuka I think speaking of of Tiffany Haddish, who, by the way, is like a a couple months ago, I was I can't remember what movie I was watching. I was watching something in in the theater and it was she was in every single trailer. She's like she's in everything at this point. It's it's insane. She's all, you know, I think one one of the things I I think they do. I'm pretty sure they made a very conscious effort to do this is the, the vast majority of like just about every single certainly all of the main characters and even most of the side characters are all voiced by people of color, which is a, a really interesting decision from the standpoint of like, you know, it's traditionally in animation, like, you know, the Simpsons is probably the best example of the character of a poo. It's, it's a white person doing the, the voice like here, regardless, obviously like, you know, race is a very different, topic when you're dealing with a bunch of like birds birds and (laughs) plants and you know and there's like a a monkey character at one point it's like it's very different i was was curious about that like the other animals and and plants and stuff like there's a jaguar randomly and they talk about like dog dogville and like other 
cities. Sure, but and, but there are, there are dogs like there's when they go to the aunt's house. There's the dog butler who's like walking the the dog dogs. And then there's a human at one point yeah. at the end of one episode. I was like, I don't so, understand yeah. the rules. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I love I was, that. Like, that it's probably on me. Like, that I need to know the rules, right? Like, that's a me thing, not. I mean, it's it's interesting because you do you do see like groups of animals. You know, she's like in the cubicle one point, and there's like a bunch of there's a bunch of cats, and obviously like there's these there you know the the three primary characters are are birds but like um birdie's dating like the male species of her bird it seems yeah right whereas like tuca's dating a monkey so it's just like <laughs> no i was just like trying yeah. to figure it out a little bit you know although in that date episode where she the, she goes on the first date with the monkey there's a scene where they cut to all the different couples I yeah think, in, in the bug room and you can see that in some cases it's same species relationship same and in some cases it's cross and in some cases it's like an animal and a human uh so it's kind of seems like everything is up for grabs you know we'll sort of just do whatever we want um in the moment uh but yeah in terms of like the the racial and ethnic and the cultural dynamics like it, it also i have to think is is influenced as well a i'm just like really glad to see you know yeah people of color like working on it on a show like this and that it seems like a contrast and probably they it was informed by the experience on BoJack Horseman where, I mean, most of the characters I think read as white are played as white mm. actors, even though they're animals. And then there's one character who is Asian American, which is Diane Wen, And she's played um, by a white actress whose name I'm totally blanking on. Um, but I think at the time it seemed totally normal. And then as the show went on and as the conversation around diversity and representation advanced, I think there was a moment where everyone kind of looked at each other. I mean, not everyone, but everyone who's like into the show kind of looked at each other and said, wait, are, are we okay with this? Is this cool? And and I think there's sort of a sense of, you know, if we were to like start BoJack Horseman now, we wouldn't have cast it in the same way they did when they started it in, I guess, 2014. Alison Brie, I just looked yeah, up. Yeah, who's great. I mean, she does a great job in, and, you know, at the time. But she's you know, very, she... very white. I haven't <laughs> seen pictures of her. Yes. Um, and, and I like that, at least in the episodes I've seen, it's not necessarily that, again, it's like a, a, a direct mapping of that Birdie, because she's played by Ali Wong or Speckle, because he's played by Steve Nguyen, is necessarily has to read as Asian American. I think you can read them that way. That That's like one interpretation, but it's not like that's the, a, a primary part of their identity. I, it, I'll, I'll be curious if it is something that that they do deal with later on, you know, I mean, this is very much in the first season uh, focus on um, the two of their relationship. But um, I mean, that, that is another direction I think they can go in as they continue to explore the characters a little more deeply. Um, I did also just want to echo Jordan's point that I really like the way the show deals with sex and that there's this very, you know, candid and open, um, a way of addressing these issues of like when, you know, um, Birdie and Speckle's sex life is getting boring, that they can have like a, a, a fun, like a, a, I mean, they, because they're fairly repressed people, <laughs> they, they sort of dance around it, but like it can address this like very real stuff and, and in a fairly open way. And it doesn't feel like, I think some other shows when, when sex comes into it, it's like, oh, we're being really risque and we're like trying to like push the envelope. It feels more casual. Like, oh, well, 
of course, in this moment, this character would say this thing or this thing would come up. Uh, I mean, that doesn't mean it doesn't get crazy sometimes, like when with the sex bugs, which are probably my favorite comedic thing in the show so far. But in general, it feels like it's not inserting sex to be, you know, to sort of shock anyone. It's inserting sex because it makes sense in the story. Well, it's just, it's, it just pervades the show. I mean, mostly in silly ways. And that's, that's very much Lisa's humor coming through. Um, you know, like the fact that there are buildings with boobs or the fact that like <laughs> that they go visit the, um, the, the neighbor lady who's a plant and she just like takes her shirt off at one point. I mean, there's just, there, there there's, there's also just that kind of like element of it in the background as well. I mean, sex isn't, sex isn't always sexual on the show. Yeah, it's, there's there's sex, and then there's also just a lot of boobs and body parts and stuff. Um, is there anything else that we want to talk about that we either like or don't like? Uh, I I I did the, the ant episode. It's like so for me for Tuka's character. I, I didn't get as far in as um, as Jordan did, but but the ant episode I think was a real turning point for for me and her story development. Um, it was an opportunity to. So there's, I don't know, maybe this is something they, they touch on a little bit later, but there's the issue of her sobriety, which is just sort of kind of mentioned and hinted at early on. Um, right. Obviously, there's a, a much deeper story going on there, but uh, she and Speckle um, go and, and visit her aunt. And I think that the her relationship with her her wealthy and successful aunt who has been you know, kind of propping her up for a long time while she's just kind of being a free spirit in the city. And, you know, every time she goes to visit her, she'll write her a check, but also uses it as an opportunity to basically <laughs> to get drunk and verbally abuse her and her, her mother who died at a young age. And um, that's a really, that that's some very interesting insight into the character. Yeah. It explains a lot. Right. I think they both kind of like why they, they, it's interesting because they started up front in the very first episode they introduce birdie and tuca and they do this little spiel like they put up a couple key features of these people and you know one's a people pleaser and one's like kind of adventurous or whatever and they really like kind of solidify like who they are but not why and then the show does a good job i think of like kind of answering those questions as opposed to just being like this is who these people are and they're cartoon characters and this is how they're always going to be it was like no these people show signs of growth and change and like, here's why they are the way they are. And here's them figuring all that out and working on it, you know? Yeah. And, and I do agree that the ant episode was seemed particularly good in terms of character and writing and just the, like the arc of that visit, how at the, at the beginning you're just like, Oh yeah. They're like, they're both like, you know, kind of like brassy, like women who kind of like give each other shit. It's cool. And then as like the day goes on and the drinking goes on, then the remarks kind of get like meaner and darker and suddenly you're like, oh shit, this is like going to a much darker place than I was expecting. I think like the way they, they did that and, and it's sort of like, I couldn't even tell you that there was like a specific turning point, more just like this gradual shading. It was really good. I'm, I'm actually curious, uh, what you guys think about the speckle character if he's sort of like i don't know again i didn't i didn't get toward the end but he's almost like he's mo- almost kind of, whatever i don't know is there a male equivalent to a mary sue anthony 
<laughs> I love Speckle. Speckle, I think out of all the characters, Speckle made me laugh out loud the most times. And I actually wrote down the joke that made me laugh the, the hardest and that I still kind of chuckle about to myself is when they're having when Bertie wants to spice up their sex life and uh speckle kind of like gets into the role-playing mode and is spanking her and she gets upset and he had decided that their their safe word shouldn't be hot potato because it's too sexual but warm potato works warm potato warm potato and i just could not stop laughing i thought that was one of the funniest scenes ever it was just so funny yeah i mean i liked um i liked him overall i mean he's he's obviously not quite as major or as uh sort of it doesn't have quite as big a presence as tuca or birdie but uh, brian what what did you it sounds like you had some reservations no i just i just yeah i just i don't i don't know he's I, aside from I, the Anne episode might be the one chance where like you got to see him a little bit more but it was mostly just him getting incredibly drunk because he's drinking all of Tuka's drinks because she's sober. Um, but I don't know. It just, it didn't, it didn't seem like particularly, there didn't seem to be much to the character. I think that's fair. Um, and, and that, you know, he's partly there as a foil and as a contrast yeah. to the other men that Bertie is interested in. And, and the sense of that he's, you know, in general, like a very, you know, considerate, upstanding boyfriend, but, you know, has his shortcomings and certainly is not as, there's a part of her who's more attracted to these <laughs> much sort of shittier or more dominant guys. And and so he, he has this sort of specific role in the narrative design of the show and, and on his own is not, I mean, I, I like, but the, you know, the Anne episode, he's good. I like the glimpses we got of his, um, of his job at the architect's office. <laughs> and she's like, oh, this this window doesn't have enough structural support. And then he like yeah. draws the little cross on it. Um, and he becomes the bad boy of architecture. <laughs> yeah. uh, I liked, I also like the glimpse that we get of the porn that he's into. And it's like all about two people being super consensual and supportive with each other. And in love, like it's, it's essentially <laughs> like him, like his role in Bertie's life, which like I, I enjoy the fact that he is this like submissive good guy who fucking he's like, I just, she's the best thing that could ever possibly happen. It's all I want. So I'll do anything I have to do for it. I just, I love her so much. And that's all of his porn too. And at one point he's like, I'm so sorry. She's blue. Cause the bird in the porn <laughs> is so, blue. so good. <laughs> it's classic, man. It's, and it's like, it's so many different things combined, right? Like speckles, I think really funny look at, you know, this couple trying to watch porn together. I just feel like it's, it's got like, you know, it's grounded in something very real and relatable and then made funny and bizarre by the fact that they're birds. Every, every, every so often I'm like, these are birds. Just FYI, Jordan, just remember in your mind, that these are birds. <laughs> and that made me laugh as well. I think it's good. You should watch it. Absolutely. Let's wrap it up there then. Um, so just some quick reminders. First of all, we have an email address where you can reach out to us. Let us know what you think of the show. Let us know what you think of Tuke and Birdie at originalcontent at techcrunch.com. That's originalcontent at techcrunch.com. And if you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app. We would also appreciate reviews, positive reviews on Apple Podcasts. And thank you so much for listening. Thanks, Brian and Jordan. Thank, thank you. you. Oh, 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 oh,
Yeah.